Well, good morning, Sunrise. Hopefully I won't be needing those tissues today. Uh, my name is Greg. I'm the Youth and Children's Director here at Sunrise, along with uh, a few other things. And uh, I get to be a part of the teaching team as well. And so, um, as some of you may know, Pastor Russ is out. He is on a much-deserved uh, vacation, sabbatical in a way, where he is taking the next uh, three weeks off, including today. And uh, he's uh, enjoying life. Uh, he's uh, helping his oldest son move, and I think he's hanging out with his parents now. He's sending us uh, uh, updates here and there. I think he's just bragging, actually, um, enjoying his, his, uh, his time. And so uh, we miss him. We love him. Um, we were praying for him this morning and just simply saying, you know, we're happy he's not here in one sense just because we know the man pours out a lot. The man deserves a break, and, uh, but at the same time, we look forward to him returning. And so we thought in the meantime, uh, while he is gone, uh, we would sneak in a book of the Bible. And so uh, we're going to be looking at Titus, and uh, each week we'll kind of be taking one chapter of each of those books and kind of going through that. Um, oh, but before I get started, I just said what my job was, and then I completely forgot it. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, couple things. Right before, uh, or uh, not this week, but next week, uh, we are going to be having our VBS, which is our Vacation Bible School. And so uh, we're really looking forward to that. It'll actually be uh, Tuesday to Friday, and that'll be uh, July 6th through 9th. And so uh, we're having uh, sign-ups today. Uh, Holly will have a table on the outside. You can sign up your kids, uh, and that's for ages kindergarten up to fifth grade, the, the, the past grade that you were just in, kids. That's what table you'll be a part of. And so I want to kind of give you guys a heads up. That's an awesome time. Uh, you'll see this place completely get decorated and taken over and really devoted to helping these kids understand what it means to focus on God. And so uh, that's coming up. And uh, along with that, we want to dismiss our kids to children in worship. Um, And so ages three years old up to fifth grade, uh, that we have classes to help them really connect and be uh, connected with God. And also we have our nursery team in there and two amazing women who are uh, serving and and available to you guys. So uh, if you would like, you can take advantage of that. It's right there on the top of my paper, and I completely missed it. <laughs> Just so excited about getting into our, 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 our word today. So uh, with all that in mind, let's pray and uh, jump into God's word here in a minute. So will you join me in prayer? God, we thank you so much that uh, you are so much bigger than one person. And God, we thank you so much for uh, the legacy, the ministry that Russ has. But God, we also thank you that uh, you are the true leader, the true pastor of Sunrise. And so God, we we just praise you and we thank you that you love each one of us. God, I pray right now that you would help uh, each one of us to hear the message that you have just for us. God, Holy Spirit, work in our hearts and our minds to know how we can best uh, allow you to, to, to work in our lives, to devote more of our lives to you. And uh, God, I thank you just for uh, Titus. I thank you for this book who, uh, uh, of this young leader who is uh, doing some amazing ministry and how that still uh, has a ripple effect even today. So uh, we thank you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, um, I don't know if you've ever heard this saying before. I'm sure most of you have. Uh, the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the pudding. I have to admit that I've never quite understood that saying. Uh, I don't know what we're trying to prove with pudding. 
I don't know what it's got to, to show for itself, but it wasn't until recently after doing some Googling to try to figure out where this came from that I found out that the saying, this is a shortened phrase of something that is, is, makes a little bit more sense, which is the fact that it says, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. So the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And this actually comes from a, a, a long time ago. The 17th century is when we first see this phrase used. I was like, wow, I didn't know pudding was so old. Um, but even before this, they used to have pudding that wasn't just in a little gelatin box. It was uh, uh, almost like a sausage mixture. And so part of that idea was the fact that in order to understand if the pudding was okay to eat, you had to try it. You had to taste it. And uh, that seems pretty dicey to me, you know. I don't know if I'm for that. But um, this whole idea of proof, it's interesting. Now we use it as in a sense of it's a value system, right? When we say that something is proof, we have cell phones that uh, some of you, depending on the type of or the age, might say it's waterproof, might say water resistant, might say other things that try to say that uh, you should buy it, basically. Uh, it's, a, it's a value system. When we look at uh, if something is fireproof, I don't know if we have any teachers here, but uh, I'm sure you have seen the fire marshal show up, and then he'll look at your paper or your drapes, and he'll say, how fireproof is that? And there's a certain rating to that. I didn't know this until I was a custodian at a school, and uh, this teacher had some drapes on her, uh, her window, and the, the fire marshal said, oh, we got to burn that. And I was like, what? <laughs> he said, yeah, you, you know, we got to see how fast it burns. And if it's a certain uh, fireproof, then it's okay. It has to take a certain amount of time. And I was like, I just feel like if something's on fire, it's just bad altogether, but okay. Um, you know? And so uh, that's what they do. They'd cut a little corner of the, of the material, and then they would see how fast it burns and, and all of that. And so it was, it was interesting. Proof is a rating that we use constantly. We see it in alcohol. We see it when we say that something is bulletproof. Uh, I don't think there's anything that's bullet resistant necessarily, but there's bulletproof. Um, it's a value system. And in that same way, when it comes to our faith, I think that we can use it there as well, that there is some type of measurement that we can use in the proof. And so that's what we're going to be looking at throughout uh, Titus chapter 1 today is uh, where's the proof? So uh, let's just jump right into it. We're going to read the first four verses and kind of just go through chunk at a time. This is what Paul says. He says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's uh, elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time in which now at this appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. So a few things that we can pick up right off the bat from this is uh, who's writing this. Paul identifies himself, and this is the Apostle Paul. Um, we, he's uh, writing to Timothy. Uh, this is Timothy, or, or not Timothy, Titus is uh, one of uh, his disciples, and uh, he has a great love and affection for Titus, um, but he also has this same for Timothy. These are two of his disciples as well, and a lot of times these two books have a lot in common of two young leaders uh, in charge of uh, ministry. And so uh, we see Paul... Um, 
is writing to these young leaders and instructing them, giving them some advice on how to do the tasks that they've been charged to do. Uh, and we have to remember that Paul um, is, is uh, what his name changed from Saul. Saul at first was this Pharisee, uh, which in Philippians it talks about that he identifies himself as a, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He is someone who was very religious, very devout, very much practicing uh, the Jewish tradition. And so he thought the more that he can devote himself to the Jewish uh, uh, laws and, and what they were supposed to do, that that would prove his righteousness that he could prove himself to God to say that, I, that he was in right standing with him. And then we see later that he uh, then meets Jesus. He gets kicked off of a donkey and blinded. Uh, this happens in Acts 9. And then through um, revelation and humility, um, Saul's name not only changes, but the core of his identity also changes, uh, and he is now known as Paul. It's important uh, uh, to understand that his whole life changed at that moment. That, that was something major that happened then. Paul calls himself here a bondservant. Uh, in some translations, it might say a slave of God, saying that he no longer believes that his righteousness can, can earn his way, that he was bought at a cost, a high cost, and he now serves his master, his Lord, who is God, who is Jesus then Paul quickly adds the gospel to the end of his identity, which I thought was pretty funny and awesome. You know, Paul is in a, a very dense writer. Uh, he, he just kind of packs it all in. And so after that statement, he shares that Jesus is the one who is building his church uh, by revealing who he is to people. Uh, that this was the plan since Genesis to redeem his people, to, to restore their relationship back to God. Uh, I just think, what an intro. I mean, that's how he just starts off his letter. And I was thinking, man, what would that look like today for us to just wear uh, our faith in that, in that manner? Uh, imagine you're calling me. And, uh, you know, I don't pick up because I don't recognize your number. Uh, it happens a lot. Uh, <laughs> and uh, this is the message you, you receive on my answer machine. Hello. You've reached Greg, a servant of God Almighty, uh, the, the God who is building his church thanks to the work of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I can't come to the phone right now because I'm probably being used to help further the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth, which, of course, leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised from the beginning of time. Leave a message, and I will get back to you at the preordained time. I assume not a lot of messages would make it to me because uh, you get about halfway through and like, I get it. Okay, calm down. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Click, I'll text you, right? <laughs> but I think that there's something to that, how Paul just shows. He, he wants people to know right from the get-go, hey, this is where I stand. This is what I believe. This is my faith. And it's, it's such a part of who he is. It's the very core of his nature that, that now that he's just going to constantly say, this is who I am. When you see me, you see Jesus. And I'm not going to be hidden about that. I'm not going to try to hide that. I'm not going to be apologetic about it. And then what I love about that is then he calls Titus to that same thing. He says, this faith that I just talked about, it's the same faith you have. And then he gives him a blessing. Paul is not hiding his faith. And I think that that's something that we should look at as well, is, is where we're at with that. How do we help people to identify, to see the faith that we have in our life? 
How quick are you to try to hide it or how quick are you to allow God to use that, to expose that, to make that just a natural part of who you are? I think Paul would call us to be a little bit more open in our lives, to be a little bit um, um, more unashamed of our faith. He goes on, and we're going to be reading from verse 5 to 9 of Titus 1. It says, The reason I left you in Crete was uh, that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint the elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are, open, and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who, is, uh, who has self-control, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, to, uh, taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So what we can see here is that Titus was given a job to do. What's interesting is we actually don't know when Paul would have been in Crete. In Acts, when we track his journey, uh, we see that he was around Crete, but anytime he was around it, he was usually uh, in prison or (laughs) he was not in a place where he had the freedom to go and preach. And so we actually have no idea when Paul would have been in uh, Crete. And uh, I think this is an interesting thing that happens because it could be just simply the fact that we don't have that written down in our Bibles, which as you read and study the Bible, you're going to find that there's going to be moments where you aren't going to get all the facts that you wish you had. There's a lot of details that were like, well, what happened here? What happened there? And I, I, I was thinking about it, and I was like, I feel like this is a lot like a parent, right? When a parent, you're talking to your kid, and they just keep asking you questions, and you're like, just, just listen, okay? I've given you enough details. That's all you need to know. Just trust me. I'm good. That's all you need to know, all right? And I think there's several times where the Bible does that. Scripture says that. God's just like, listen, trust me. Have faith in me. I'm good. I've proved it. If you read the Bible, it's proof all over that. And yeah, you don't know the details of Jesus' teenage years, but that's okay. He was still holy and good, trust me, right? Well, we, 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 this could be that he just journeyed through this area and, and, and it wasn't written down. Or it could be, uh, another thing that is uh, talked about is that this could be a church that was actually born out of Pentecost, Acts 2. Uh, and the, the people there would have been uh, in that area, and, and they could have uh, heard the message of God, and they could have been a part of that first 5,000, the church then, and then they would have gone home and shared the message. And so this church uh, is brand new, and I think that's what we can really gain from this uh, uh, from the scripture is, is the, 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 the Crete church is very, very new. Uh, the other part is that the fact that they have no leadership currently. Um, it, what's interesting is that Paul doesn't uh, write and talk about having to remove bad leaders uh, like he does in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5. Uh, instead, he's just instructing this is how you, you find good leaders to, to get things started. And so then he talks about these leaders, of what kind of leaders uh, he should be looking for. And so Titus, uh, or, or more so Paul, lays it out for Titus of what he should be looking for. And it says, someone who is blameless, faithful to his wife, a good godly father who's leading his family in faith, 
not abusive, not easily angered, uh, has no addictions living in his life. He's hospitable, loving what is good, has self-control, and someone who holds to the disciplines of the faith. And most importantly, this is a person who holds firmly to the truth that the, uh, of the message that we are given through God's word and the message about Jesus. What stands out to me as I read through this list is, yes, these are, this is a list of what it calls to be an elder, but at the same time, what we're looking at is really a mature believer. It's someone who is uh, letting God work within their own life. This is not just for the title of elder. Really, this is uh, a call for all of us. It's a, it's a call to maturity. It's a call to, to allow God to work in each one of our lives. And so this list, as much as we would love to just be like, well, that's elder stuff. I'm not an elder, so I don't have to worry about that. that that's actually a call for each one of us. It doesn't matter your title. It's for uh, men, women, for deacons, for elders, uh, for mission partners, or for visitors today. It doesn't matter who you are. Uh, if you are a Christian, this is a list of what we should be allowing God to work in our lives. Here is the proof in our life that God is doing good things. Uh, there's a couple things that I want us to hit on here. This idea of being blameless. Blameless. I mean, really, the only way we can truly understand blameless or being blameless is when we understand who God is. No one of us can say, I'm blameless. No one of us can say, well, I've done everything right in my life. I've never sinned. I've never fallen short. I've never uh, not done what God's called me to do. Every one of us has sinned. Every one of us has messed up. Every one of us have. And so the only way that we can live into that identity of blameless is when we understand that God has died for our sins. When he is the one who the, the sacrifice was enough. When we, when we say, God, what you did on that cross, it took everything away from me. My past sins, my present sins, my future sins, all of that is covered by your blood. And I'm going to live into that identity that you give me. That's the only way we can be called blameless. When God has called us out of the darkness of our sin, and then we can start to live into that new reality. Maybe you're someone who professes Jesus as Lord, and I want you to know that that profession, it means something. It's the start. It's a reaction to God waking you up out of the darkness, out of your sin, is then crying out to him and saying, God, I need you in my life. But what's amazing about that is God doesn't stop there. It's not just about that first confession. It's about a daily habit of constantly confessing to God, I need you in my life. I need more of you in my life. So he saves us. He saved us 2,000 years ago with his, his death on the cross. But then he allows us to be a part of that transformation in our life as well. That it's not just simply a once and done thing. It's a daily thing where he now empowers us to change, to give more of our life over to him and say, God, I need you in this area of my life, in this area of my life, in this area of my life. And really, that's what we see when it comes to uh, this list, is it's someone who is allowing God to work in all different areas of their life, their personal life, the way they do business, the way that they treat their family, the way that they uh, treat their friends. All of those places is some place where God wants to be working with you. Which is why we see things like on this, 
a faithful leader of their family is, is an aspect of being a mature believer. Anyone who knows, who's a parent uh, of, of uh, ch- children, knows that uh, being a faithful leader, uh, a godly presence for your family, is not something that just happens. It takes a lot of intentionality to be a, a godly husband, a godly wife, a godly father, a godly mother. It takes a lot of work, a lot of sacrifice. But letting God be at the center of your marriage is really the the most amazing gift that you can give your spouse. Allowing God to work in your life in that way is the best thing you could possibly do for them. It's the, the highest way that you can love them is by devoting yourself to Christ. The best way that you can be the best father, the best mother, is by doing that. Allowing God to work in your life and allowing your kids to know that you are growing in your faith. And yeah, not that you have it all together, but that you're trying, you're striving for what God has for you. And in that vulnerability, in that willingness to be open with your faith and them to see that, because they're going to see it, whether we want them to see it or not. For them to see that, it helps them in their life to want to model that, to grow in that same way. And kids will come with some of the hardest questions for you parents, so you got to be ready. I mean, I have to admit that in the, I've been doing youth ministry now for... 15 years almost, and uh, I have never had such hard questions as my boys ask. Uh, I, things like, um, Dad, why does, uh, why does God want us to die? Wow, son, I thought we were just going to get slushies. Like, we were on our way to A&PM, and Calvin just popped off with that. And I was like, okay, do I pull over? How do we address this, right? Because now he's talking about why is death in the world? And so we talk about that. Uh, or things like, uh, Dad, I, I prayed last night for not, to not have bad dreams, and I still have bad dreams. So what, what was going on with that? Well now, we're not, well, now we're talking about unanswered prayers. Okay, well, let's talk about that. Or maybe some of you parents have faced this uh, like I did this last year. God, why did, why did God let COVID um, happen? Okay, let's talk about that. Our kids are going to make sure that we're ready. They're going to ask the questions. And what Paul is saying here is that we need to live ready. We need to live in a place where we're allowing God to work in all areas of our life. Not just to say, well, this is my Sunday thing, or this is my private thing, or this is just what I do with my faith, but it doesn't touch any other aspect of my life. To mature in your faith, it means that you're allowing him to be a part of every aspect of your life. To let God grow us in these places where God can be at the center of every place in our life. How we are at home, how we are at work, how we are in our private lives, in our relationships with our families, our romantic relationships. Every part, in every place we are, we are called to understand that God wants to be at the center of that very place. Verse 10 through 16 says this. It says, uh, For there are many rebellious people who of full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things that ought not to be teached or taught. Um, and that for the sake of, uh, and all that for the sake of dishonest gain. Uh, one of the Cretes' own prophets has said that Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. 
Therefore rebuke them sharply, so that they uh, will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or mere human commands uh, of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupt and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, those both... uh, in fact, both the mind and conscience are corrupt. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Man, Paul, tell me how you really feel. The circumcision group here that he talks about is this group of Jewish people who believe that in order to be saved, in order to follow Jesus, that people first basically needed to become Jewish in order for them to come to know who Jesus is. And so they were supposed to then follow all the rules and regulations in the First Testament before they were allowed to then understand the grace of who Jesus was. And so uh, this group, of course, uh, was wrong, and Paul sharply, constantly had to go after them on this. And that was because he understood better than anyone that faith did not simply come through works. Uh, that was the idea, is that if I work hard enough, if I do enough good, then, then I, can, I can make it. And this, this idea still exists today. I have talked to people who say, well, before I go to church, I just want to get my life in order because I don't want to be, just be going to God when I need him. Well, that's exactly when you go to him is when you need him, when you realize that you need him. That's, yeah, run to him. Uh, or this idea that if I just, you know, if I'm a good enough person, then maybe God will let me into heaven. You know, if I uh, feed the homeless, if I, if I'm a, a, you know, treat people right, if I'm just generally a good person, then I'm pretty sure I'm going to make it into heaven. Now, Paul says this, no, that's not what it takes to make it. It takes being blameless, perfect, holiness. And the only way that we achieve that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. He says uh, in a different area, Romans 5, 8, and 10, Paul writes this. He says, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then verse 10, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We are saved by Christ alone, through grace alone, because God chose to. Because he chose to love us. Verse 16 of Titus 1 says, talks about, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. What he's saying is the proof is in how they live. They may confess with their mouths that they know who Jesus is, but by the way that they are living, by their actions, they don't see that. They don't see the evidence of God working there. And I don't know about you, but I think uh, we all have been in a situation where we see someone who claims to know Jesus, claims to love Jesus, but by their actions and by the way that they live, there's no proof. There's something maybe inside you, as there is in me at times, where there's something just turns. You're just like, ugh. I'd rather you claim not to know God than to claim to know God and do all these things under his name. Some kind of frustration there. And I think that's holy. I think that's good. Because I think we are understanding that that's representing our Father in a bad light. But before we judge these Cretans, I think sometimes we have to wonder about ourselves as well. 
We have to wonder where we are falling short. What, what kind of places maybe in our lives we're messing up. We need God to be coming into those areas. Because uh, as much as, as, as we love to, as I love to preach and share with you, the proof's in the pudding, right? Uh, Pastor Russ is, is an amazing teacher. Uh, I, I've been able to listen to him for now 20 plus years, and I've loved it. Uh, I still, each Sunday, do not get tired. I'm not like, oh, he's saying that again. Oh, my goodness. Okay, here we go. I mean, I just love how Pastor Russ shares, and I'm sure mo- most of you do as well. He's an amazing teacher, very gifted man. But as, as amazing as he is, if he stood up here and gave the best uh, you know, sermons that we've ever heard in our life, but the moment he stepped off the stage, he was a completely different person, I'm sure that most of you wouldn't be here, or maybe you shouldn't be here, because he wouldn't be showing his true faith through his actions. I mean, I think that's why most of us are here, is because we see that Russ, not just by his words, but by his deeds, lives out a faith that we all can follow and trust. Same with myself. Uh, I, you know, I've been, like I said, doing, beginning to do uh, youth ministry now for close to 15 years. And uh, I have to admit, uh, at the very beginning, maybe I could rely a little bit on the cool factor of being a young 20-year-old guy, guy, but I am not that young 20-year-old cool, relevant, hip guy anymore. Uh, maybe I never was, but that's fine. We won't have to talk about that. I'm 35 years old, and maybe I just don't care about being relevant anymore, and so all I can give is to be authentic with my faith to the youth. And so uh, through that, I try to share the fact that I love them, that God loves them, and there's a plan for their life. And and I, I share that through the messages, but I also try to share that just simply by hanging out with them and being available to them, connecting with them. Martine, amazing worship leader. Great, right? But at the moment he stepped off the stage, he was a completely different man. His worship would suck. And so I think it's important for us to not just apply that to anyone who steps on this stage, but to apply that for each one of our own lives. What are you preaching through your life? What are you preaching through your actions? What do people see in you when you're not talking? I think Paul calls us to allow God to transform every part of our life. And so I want to end with this question for you as we, as we uh, think about this idea. How are you seeing the evidence of Christ at work in your life today? Where are you seeing it? Where can you point to and say, God has changed me from where I was a couple months ago, a couple years ago. I'm changing because he's still at work. Yes, he saves us, but he also is transforming us. How are you allowing him to do what Romans 12, 2 talks about, where he's renewing your mind so that you may know his good and pleasing will for your life? So think about that today as we, as we sing our last song, but also think about that for the rest of the day and try to find some of those places. And, and, and praise God when you can. Say, God, you've changed me. I'm going to praise you for that. You've been at work in my life. I want to just worship you right now. And for those places where you've seen maybe that you're resisting that call to repent, to to allow him in, give that to him and say, God, I'm sorry I've resisted you. And allow me to live in a different way now. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you're never done with us. God, that there is never a moment that you want to wash your hands and walk away from us, but God, that you are constantly calling us to be more like you, to devote more of a life to you. 
God, I pray that you would help each one of us to, to identify some of those places where you've grown us, where you've changed us, where you've transformed our lives to look more like you. Help us to worship you and thank you for those things, God, that you are the one empowering us to be different. And God, for those places where we've, we've wanted to steer away, where we've wanted to hold back, help us to then trust you because you are good. You are a great God. Thank you for your love, for your grace, and for always being there. In your name we pray. Amen.